Well, it is good to be here. And I'm actually impressed how many people made it out this morning. Good job, guys. Um, my family's very, very intrepid around the snow. And um, when Stephen and I were first dating, it was actually one of the things I'm like, we're, we're, we're getting serious here. I was driving back to grad school, and um, it was just this huge, huge blizzard across all of Pennsylvania. And uh, I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, you know, I've, I've slid off the road twice now, and it's just a mess out here. And my dad's like, well, you got your emergency bag in the car? And yeah, okay, you're good. Just drive slow. And then, you know, I, something, I think I saw this uh, huge truck just jackknife, like, right behind me. So I was a little shaken, so I called Steve, and I'm like, whew, it's a mess out here. He said, if you don't pull over and get a hotel and stay there for the night, and I actually did it. I'm like, this is getting serious, guys. So it's good. Thank you for coming out. And there is nowhere better to be on Sunday morning. Snow, time delay, all of that. There is no other, better way to start our week together. Um, today we're going to talk about God bringing life and hope to places in life that feel hopeless, lifeless, to, to problems that have been going on for a long time, to relationships that have been the way they are for a long time and don't really see any way forwards in. Um, I'm going to talk about some things that are, are broken, empty, used up, um, and we're going to talk about what God can do when he enters those situations. There are things in our life that we think that's just the way they are. They've been that way for a long time. This relationship has been this way for a long time. But our trash is God's canvas. Our problems are where God gets to shine. Our failures are God's triumphs. There may be things in our life that we think are over, done, finished. But when God says it is destined for hope and purpose because he created it, then we get to see the good stuff happen. Uh, who here thinks that God can do the impossible? I want you to think of an impossible situation in your life. Maybe financial problem, uh, relationship, some, some impossible situation. Who here believes that God can do the impossible in your situation? Who here expects God to see the impossible happen in their situation? Who here expects to see it happen like here and now? That's, that's getting a little harder, getting a little harder, right? Ah, to believe and really live into that good can come out of tough circumstances, that you may have been unhappy in, in your job for the, your, your entire work life, but that you can still have a satisfying, fulfilling career, that your marriage may have been, been tough and that's just the way he is and she's not going to change, but that God can bring life and purpose and join it. The child who just won't get a better attitude, won't work hard at school, that person who, uh, you know, can't seem to find a job, won't quit drinking, God can restore our Bible passage today uh, makes some very big picture promises, but they aren't just big picture. They're very personal. So let's pray as we turn to scripture. Jesus, we thank you for the words of scripture. Thank you that you care about us personally and that you want to speak to us personally this morning. We turn our attention to you. We give you our, our emotions. We give you our thoughts. Yeah, we just look to you, Jesus. 
Thank you that when you we look to you, um, that you always look back to us the same way. It's always with a smile. Um, it's always with pleasure. You are happy when we come to your, into your presence. So we thank you for being here with us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us as we read the scripture. All right. So this morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's one of the better known visions in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting out in verses um, 1 and 2. Uh, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. As a priest, Ezekiel wasn't allowed to touch uh, a dead body. But in this vision, he's the spirit of the Lord makes him walk around among dead bodies. He wasn't allowed to like reach out and touch the corpse of a dead loved one. But in this crazy vision, the Lord gets him to just walk, uh, wallow in human decay and death. And it's not just like one skeleton lying in a field. This is CSI. This is full blown. These bodies have been here for a long time. And they're not just nicely covered, resting in peace. This is a cursed death. They've been lying out. Uh, wild animals have eaten these bones. They've been dismembered, torn apart, torn apart by vultures. And the spirit of the Lord asks me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? This is a really silly question. Obviously, the answer is no. But Ezekiel, he's a, he's a clever one. He's, Ezekiel's a clever one. He, uh, he doesn't just say like, no, I don't think so. He doesn't, right? He says, Lord, only you know. He puts the ball back in God's court. He hits it back to, to God and says, only you know. Then the spirit of the Lord said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You know, preaching to bones is an exercise in fertility. You see this little bone here and you're like, bone, the Lord is going to speak breath into you. He's going to cover you with muscle, put you back together again. Like it's pointless. Like it's a dead bone. But Ezekiel does what he was told. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched muscle and flesh formed over the bones, the skin formed to cover the bodies, but they still had no breath in them. God's put the bodies together, bone by bone, muscle by muscle, still no breath. This is a two-part miracle. God doesn't do everything all at once. And you know, that's okay. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come all breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. 
So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Not just one or two are raised. You know, we think, wow, God could actually do something. There could be like one or, one or two, you know, maybe a handful. No, all are raised. It's a great number, too many to count, like a great army. The magnitude of, of the death and destruction is equaled out, is reversed, is eclipsed by the magnitude of all these bodies raised to life again. And finally, we're told what this means. We don't have to guess. He said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All our hope is gone. Our nation is finished. And they weren't wrong. They had had this like world war. They had seen their country burned to the ground, leveled. They were deported in exile to Babylon. They said our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. God says, I'll enter the fray. I'll enter the chaos. I will enter into the worst of the situation and I'll bring life and I'll bring hope piece by piece. I'll put you back together where there's been, where there's been just the stench of death and decay. The presence of the Lord, the aroma will, of the Lord will be there and I'll bring life and I'll bring hope. This is a word for the living, not for the dead. You know, this passage has typically been read that it shows us that God resurrects the dead. We read it and we say, okay, God wants to bring life to the dead. When, when we die, we will be resurrected on the last day. We'll, we'll go to heaven. God will bring life to the dead. But if that was the meaning, when God said, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel would have said, yep, sure can. Instead of Lord, only you know. 500 years later, Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, who was also dead in a, uh, in a well-done sense. And Jesus said to the deceased sister, he said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yes, I know he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Martha believed in the final big resurrection. She did not expect Lazarus to come walking out of his grave 10 minutes later. Ezekiel believed in the final big resurrection. He didn't necessarily buy in that these bones would live. It's much easier for us sometimes to believe in the big miracles of God, the big picture ones. God resurrects the dead. And we see that in this passage. It shows us that God resurrects the dead. But that's not the point. The point is that God brings life to these dead bones. These, mine, here and now. You know, go to any funeral and you will find that everyone believes in life after death. Go to any shopping mall, grocery store, PTA meeting, and you will find that no one believes in new life here and now. We think that our life is the way it is. 
ourselves, our circumstances, uh, our, our, our life is the way it is. But it's not the truth when God speaks breath into these dry bones. From, from time to time, we do this program here called the Alpha Program. And uh, I want us to watch if it's going to work uh, the story of one guy who went through the Alpha Program. His name's Shane. And he's got a story which I think illustrates it well. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves, really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist. And I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out, I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed him. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC, to where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have ride shields and ride gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because it sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then... As I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember... <laughs> running on the wing, people clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first. That's how good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got um, four kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad, have a life, 
the beautiful um, and my life. And it's probably it's my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Good stuff. And it's good stuff because that's the reality of what God does. Not in his life, not in your life, but in my life, right here, right now. God is the one who gives us life, who puts us back together, and nothing is too hard for him. This is our life story, each and every one of us, whether it started out in prisons or somewhere else. God breathes life into us. One theologian said that God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead and before that brought Israel out of slavery. The whole story of our faith, all of who God is, is that he brings life. The first thing we see God do in the book of Genesis is to breathe life as he creates people. The whole story of our faith is that God brings life to hardened criminals and to these dry bones. Can these dry bones live? Can this marriage produce joy and hope? Can we be better together than we were apart? Can my work and career be good? Can I personally have energy and hope and vitality? It's very specific. It's about looking at your situation and saying that God, only you know, you can. You know, most of us here, I don't think we're quite at the dead bones stage. I hope though, though some of us maybe we don't quite feel dismembered and lifeless, picked apart, uh, uh, torn up by scavengers, but some of us may be really close. Most of us don't feel like an invigorated army this morning, ready to go out and conquer a whole, a whole army. Like I don't usually have that much energy. We may be struggling. We may be dry emotionally. We may be wondering like, where's the joy in life? Where are the friendships? Where's the purpose? Where's the things that you're really super excited to get up in the morning to go do? God wants to breathe life. He doesn't want you to be stuck in the valley. He doesn't want you to be stuck in struggle for forever. He wants to put our lives back together, to breathe life muscle by muscle, bone by bone, tendon by tendon, step by step, goal by goal, counseling by by budgeting, by certificate, degree, therapy, friendship, community. He wants to put our lives back together and then to breathe life. But here's the thing. You know what you don't want to do with a dead body in a grave? Open the grave. That's really like the last thing you actually want to do. When God says he's going to fling open your grave, the natural immediate response is to be like, no, 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 please don't do that. This stays in here. That stays shut. This trash stays in here. Let's leave that lid closed. I don't want clean laundry if it means that you get to see all my dirty laundry. We become unpleasantly comfortable with our problems. They're ours. You know, we think if we can live with with our problems, it's okay. Our dirt isn't bothering anyone. It's my problem. I bear the brunt of it. It's not really bothering anyone. But God says, it's bothering me. God knows it's there. You know it's there. God wants it gone. God says, it's bothering me. When we look at this vision, 
the magnitude of the tragedy is eclipsed by the magnitude of the restoration. A whole valley filled with dead bodies is horrifying. They show like a small portion of that on the evening news and there's the parental like, take your kids out of the room. It's horrifying. But a whole valley, a huge plain, a huge field filled with bodies coming back to life and then breathing, leaping, dancing, like that's awesome. When we look at our problems, we can say, it's too big. And that may really be the reality. That can totally be the truth. We can be very realistic about what we're facing. We say, it's too big. But it's also the truth that when the restoration comes, when God breathes life, when, when we see victory, that we'll also say, it's too big. It's too great. You know, ourselves, our our situations, uh, our emotions, our thought life, this is what God is interested in, and this is what God wants to change in us. He's very interested in, (coughs) in our problems. He's very interested in those situations. He's very interested in the dry bones. You know, I think of a woman I knew in Pittsburgh, and uh, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. Uh, She had some friends who were, and they came over for dinner one night, and uh, they were talking about some things and just talking about life, having a good time. And they said, you know, Carolyn, at any point, if you want to, like, pray and invite Jesus into your life, just say, you know, I I want to do life with you. I I give my life to you. I want a second chance. You can do that at, at any time and pray and ask Jesus into your life. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, they, they have dessert, finish up. She does the dishes, goes to bed that night. And she thinks, you know, why not? So she prays and she says, God, you know, I want a new chance. I'm sorry for everything I've done. I want to live life with you, Jesus. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm being so silly. I can't believe I just did that. She's so embarrassed that she pulls the covers up over her head for no one in particular. She's just so embarrassed that she did that. She gets up the next morning, um, unloads the dishwasher, goes, goes to work, um, has a very normal morning at work, goes to the bookstore cafe she always goes to for her sandwich over her lunch break. Um, she orders her sandwich, gets her chips and a pickle, um, looks at the magazines. There's a big rack of magazines. They have like Cosmo and um, Sports Illustrated. And she always looks at those magazines, always thinks the same thing. Those women are beautiful, really, really beautiful. I look awful. Look, look at that, that woman in a bikini. Look how flat her stomach is. I shouldn't have ordered that sandwich. I mean, I just look awful. Like, you know, not good self-talk. A big, a big serving of comparison and shoulds and oughts, a little sprinkling of, of self-hatred. So she goes into the cafe. She orders her sandwich. She gets her chip, her pickles. She looks at the magazine. She thinks... It's really a shame that they put those magazines out there for for young girls to see, maybe feel insecure, and and not know that they're really beautiful just the way God created them. And she just stares straight ahead at these magazines and realizes that she has been changed literally overnight. She's been following Jesus now for for many years, um, and God has brought hope and healing to to her thought life, to her emotions. Um, And uh, yeah, she has a beautiful story with Jesus in that. You know, I think of areas of my life that I just didn't think would be any different. I mean, I am who I am. My emotional reactions are who, 
you know, it is, it makes up who I am. Like my emotional reactions to different things, my insecurities. I just kind of thought that that was who I was. My relationship with my mom. It's been my relationship with my mom for my entire life. I just think that's the way, that's the way it is. And there are many times when I think about who I am um, and my soul is satisfied with Jesus. Um, I love God. I'm very happy following Jesus. I think about who I am and think, you know, I'm a very average person. You know, I've been following Jesus for a long time now. Maybe I should be a better person. You know, in terms of most virtues, I'm pretty average, you know, patience, not particularly impatient, not particularly patient, kindness, pretty fine, you know, average. I'm, you know, real, realistic. And I don't feel particularly virtuous most of the time. But then I think about who I have been. I think about what my thought life has been. I think about family patterns. And I'm like, God has done a miracle. A miracle, y'all. I am different. I think about walking the dog or, or just cooking. And I feel a contentment and a peace that I didn't have just a couple of years ago. I have, I have purpose and fulfillment, um, better relationships than I thought was possible a decade ago. Psalm 27 has really become a life verse for me. I love it. It says, I am confident I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm confident that I will see God's goodness here and now. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. It's become something I really just remind myself and hold to, that I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to press it. I'm going to stand firm. And I'm going to see the goodness of God here and now in my life. You know, breathing life into these dry bones happens because God wants it to. It's God's plan. It's not wishful thinking. It's not because I begged, I pleaded, I prayed more. It's what God wants to do. I mean, I may also want to make it happen, but my own desires for my purpose and my happiness and my restoration are not what caused this to happen. Ezekiel chapter 36. So right, right before this vision, he tells us, he tells us why he's going to do this. You know, the Lord's ways may be mysterious, but they're not hidden. He says, therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God wants to do this. It's all gift. It's all grace by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 is where our passage ends today. I think it's a good place to end. Uh, worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Verse 14 says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land 
then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. We come to Jesus because he's paved the way for us. He's the one who has died, and like the valley of dry bones, the cross was not pretty to look at. He died unfairly, alone, abandoned because of an oppressive system, and he's taken on the worst that we can experience, and he's been resurrected and brought to life for us. He paves the way. The Bible calls him our forerunner. Forerunner in what? Moral living, religion. He's our forerunner in new life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his followers who had all seen the valley of dry bones, had all seen the cross, and they freaked out that he was alive, couldn't believe it. And he said, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes a way for us into new life and he breathes the spirit into us. Would you stand as we move in a time, into a time of worship? I just want us to pray into this very specifically. It is about these dry bones. It's about the valley we're looking at right now. It's about our situation, our circumstances. It's not abstract, it's personal. So if you wanna put your hands out, close your eyes, fold your hands. Let's turn our attention to Jesus. Let's ask him to speak into those places of our life that feel dry, feel lifeless. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I want you to think of what areas in your life feel impossible, feel stuck, feel lifeless or or hopeless, or you think that is just the way it is. If you have that, if you've identified that, let's speak the words of God over that situation. God's truth, God's life. We say God will bring what he has created back to the purpose that he created it for. Our God is a God of life and hope, of healing, of restoration. Our God is for us in every single way, in every single situation and circumstance. There are no areas of our life that God does not care about. There are no circumstances in which he's neutral on. He is deeply invested and involved in every situation and every circumstance. We agree with you, Holy Spirit. We say, come, Holy Spirit, breath of life. Breathe into us, Jesus. We want to have your life, your hope, that we would be put together fully and completely to live for you, to have that vitality and hope and purpose that you have created us for, to live in your love, to to show forth your love, Jesus. You are kindness in your life. We thank you in Jesus' name.